G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. Hello, it's Neil Johnson and welcome to today's 2020 podcast from the Vision Radio Network. Remember, you can hear 2020 weekdays on Vision from 10am Australian Eastern Standard Time. A question today about how confident world leaders are of the evidence that the chemical weapons used in the recent attacks in Syria came from the ruling regime of President Bashar al-Assad. The whole world is watching what's happening in Syria, where the conflict is between two opposing perspectives within the Islamic religion. Some insights today on the origins of the chemical weapons. We welcome back former terrorist and former member of the Muslim Brotherhood, now a Christian minister of the gospel, Walid Shubat. Walid's also author of the book God's War on Terror. He always has insights into the Eastern mindset that focuses more deeply into the events in the Middle East, and he's joining us to talk through why he thinks the chemical weapons did not originate with the Assad regime. Walid Shubat, welcome back to 2020. Thank you for having me. Waleed, I know you're not feeling the best right now, but uh, thanks very much for being available to talk to us. You've got some intelligence and understanding about uh, what's been happening in Syria. What have you been hearing about the chemical weapons and where they may well have uh, come from? Well, I mean, I know in the West they hear all sorts of reports from the United States, from uh, Great Britain, from France that they're sure that the Syrian regime is the one that carried out a chemical attack. However, I monitor the Arabic, I monitor the, uh, the, the activity on the ground in Syria in which uh, several uh, ke- chemical warehouses were captured, uh, in, one in Banyas, one in uh, Somar, in, uh, uh, in Syria, in which they talked about Syrian gas, plus intelligence from the Middle East, in which uh, communication between terrorists talking about uh, uh, getting Syrian gas and how the Saudi government was also involved, and also on Nusra, in its own testimony, the group standing in front of the camera stating that all bets are off if the Syrian regime gets close to the Free Syrian Army, the terrorists, uh, they would unleash all kinds of chemical attacks, including sudden gas, including an attack in which they were loading uh, the projectile, stating very clearly this will be a sudden projectile, including experimentations on rabbits uh, using chemical weapons. We've had this situation happen before in Khan al-Asal, in which even a major inspector in the United Nations declared that it was the uh, rebels that were using, that used chemical weapons in those attacks in Khan al-Asr a few months ago. So why would we be thinking that the scenario changed? The intelligence the United States presents uh, is a communique between the Syrian uh, military itself, in which the question was asked, you know, did you use? Because they have begun to realize that there was sarin gas attacks, 
and they wanted to make sure that none of their military are using it, and so they asked the question. They posed that question. And later on, the military in Syria investigated it and figured out there's no use of chemical weapons by the uh, Syrian regime. Uh, so also, there's been in Turkey an arrest of Nusra active uh, members who, who were smuggling sarin gas. There's an open border in Turkey. Uh, the Russian government demanded that the Turkish government release the investigation reports on those uh, arrests, smuggling sarin gas. So we have several reports showing that the rebels have used sarin gas, including the chemical weapons themselves being shown. You can see them on television in the Middle East, made in Saudi Arabia. There is a Saudi influence, a Turkish influence, a Qatari influence. There is an influx of terrorists, Islamist, Wahhabists coming from all over the Middle East into Syria to change the demography of Syria, to change the culture of Syria, to wipe out the culture in Syria, which by and large have several sectarian entities living and coexisting together. So we can't just say, you know, we have evidence, smoking gun, even... Well, Great Britain's Prime Minister, he, in his debate in the Parliament, he said, we don't have the smoking gun, but, you know, we must support the United States in this effort. Uh, so, you know, can the United States government, can any government, British or France, say they have a smoking gun that the Syrian regime use chemical weapons against the citizens no one can. So why are we declaring war? On so, Walid, what you're saying is that the rebels uh, have used the sarin gas in order to frame the Assad regime and to bring down their reputation when it comes to a, a worldwide response to what's happening with the, uh, the Assad regime. Right. There are several cases in point in which terrorists, Muslim Brotherhood, will kill their own people. Palestinians will kill their own people in order to create a, an argument against the, a government. Look at the situation in uh, Egypt. In Egypt, uh, you had the Rabah al-Adawiyah incident in which the Muslim Brotherhood positioned uh, snipers on top of the mosques and the buildings when there was a Muslim Brotherhood demonstration. We have it on video. People can watch it. We translate the material. There's the security forces coming and saying, you know, clear the area. We don't want any shedding of any blood. And then we have on video in which the crowds are shooting at the security forces, at the Egyptian security forces with AK-47s, including snipers, including snipers killing their own demonstrators just to create a major casualty to make an argument. This has been proven fact. In the on the grounds in Egypt with the Muslim Brotherhood. Islamists are notorious for this kind of trickery. It doesn't matter to them if Muslims are killed so long they win the battle. So here you have a case of Muslim killing Muslim. And who's defending them? Well, the Syrian government is defending them. At least you could say the Syrian government is eradicating the terrorists. Here you have McCain, you know, making comments... When somebody asks him, what do you mean? It's okay to say Allahu Akbar when somebody shoots down a Syrian jet. You know, Allahu Akbar is like saying, you know, like praising God, a Christian God, this sort of thing. No, it's not. Allahu Akbar is used always 
for Islamists, for the extreme Muslim terrorist groups when they bring down a plane, when they kill. And look at the executions. How many executions do we have to endure by terrorist thugs killing civilians, killing captured military officials? Look at the Muslim Brotherhood. They've kidnapped their own military in Egypt. Mohammed Mursi, you know, finally has been ousted out. And here the United States is supporting the Muslim Brotherhood. So we need to ask ourselves the question, who is behind all of this? What for and why? We'll come back and talk some more shortly, and uh, we will discuss that, Walid. Who is behind this uh, and why? Uh, Walid Shubat, our guest, himself a former terrorist, a former member of the Muslim Brotherhood, now a peace activist and a Christian minister. Walid, stay with us. We'll come back and talk some more shortly. You're listening to the 2020 Podcast on the Vision Radio Network. We're back with Walid Shubat, a former terrorist who was a member of the Muslim Brotherhood. Today, he is a Christian minister of the gospel and the author of the book God's War on Terror. We're talking about Syria and the recent chemical weapons attack. He says the evidence for the use of chemical weapons in Damascus points not to the Assad regime, but to the rebels. Walid, let's talk about the deep emotion on both sides of this violence and try to understand the motives that the rebels have for trying to remove President Assad. It all stems back to the religious foundations in Syria. Absolutely, it's a Shia-Sunni divide. Historically, it happened in Karbala, when Al-Hassan Al-Hussein, the grandchildren of the Prophet of Islam, Muhammad, were killed. That created the Shia faction, who believe that uh, Islamic rulership must be through the bloodline of the Prophet of Islam, uh, versus the Sunni sect, who believe from Abu Bakr, you know, uh, uh, basically he was uh, positioned to be the Khalifa of Islam. And that divide never ended. It is, continues in Iraq. It stems from Iran. When we had the elections, when we ousted Saddam Hussein, the American people felt very comfortable when they saw the purple thumbprints of people voting. Oh, democracy. Sunnis didn't vote because they know the majority are Shia. It was a sectarian vote. So sectarianism or sectarian divide has always existed in the Middle East. And what the West is doing is basically feeding into that divide. It's always existed. The Saudi government does not want a Alawite Shia regime because they're afraid of Iran, trying to diminish the power of Iran. That's what it's about. So we're being involved in basically uh, arising, if you will, supporting, if you will, a Sunni governance of the region versus a Shia governance in that region, basically cutting off uh, Syria from Lebanon, which is, basically has Hezbollah there, because the continuation of the Shia rule comes from Iran through the majority in Iraq, through Syria, through Hezbollah, through Le- you know, in Lebanon, and which is a threat to Israel. We understand that. So the way we really understand what's going on is that the Alawite regime of Bashar al-Assad is seen as heretical. So the Sunnis who are uh, undergirding the uprising of the rebels see the Alawite leadership as being heretics and therefore want them to be removed from their position of power. Absolutely. That's what it is. It's a religious warfare that never ended and we're getting involved in it. Now, let's talk about the American commitment to trying to make some sort of a statement uh, with the idea of uh, showering uh, missiles. Uh, is that likely to be any sort of answer? 
Well, I mean, it's not an answer, because if the Shawar missiles, it's not going to remove the Bashar al-Assad regime. It's going to create a bigger argument for the pro-nationalist in the Middle East to be anti-America. Now, we don't only have the Islamists being anti-America. Now we have all the secularists being anti-America as well. The entire Middle East is going to be anti-West. And look at the West as a conspiracy you know, agent to try to weaken the Middle East. If you look at the headlines all over the Middle East, that's what you see. You know, they see that the West wants to continue its imperialist you know, intervention in the Middle East, keeping the Middle East weak. So it's not creating a great image for the United States. When Barack Obama made his speech in Egypt, he was going to reverse that image of the United States uh, because Bush supposedly have ruined the image and gave a bruise to the United States. Well, he's creating a bigger bruise by going against the nationalist. This is what the position is also in Egypt. You know, uh, Barack Obama has been somewhat pro the establishment of the Muslim Brotherhood, if you will. And so, you know, do they talk about eliminating military aid to Egypt after the ousting of Mohammed Morsi? Before that, there's no talk about this. Why? Are we on the side of Mohammed Morsi, the Muslim Brotherhood, and the Islamists? In other words, do we really have a war on terror? Or are we having a war against nationalism? Is it because maybe the Obama administration, just like the Carter administration, looked the other way when the Shah of Iran pleaded for help, in which Khomeini was, you know, came from France and took over the government in Iran, which is an issue we have to deal with now. Till now, we have a nuclear issue in Iran as a result of this liberal ideology in which it supports revolutionary systems, regardless whether the Islamists or not. You know, that's probably what it is. Walid, let's talk about uh, the Christians and the Islamists, because it appears to me that uh, while there is an internal feud going on in Syria between two Islamic sects, uh, any interference coming from America, which would be perceived to be the Christians, uh, will likely flame uh, fires of hatred uh, between uh, Islamists uh, towards Christians if there's any sort of intervention at all. Absolutely. I mean, you look at the situation in Egypt, Copts are not trusted because they believe that the Copts being Christian, and here we have a Christian, you know, attack in the Middle East, basically coming from the West, will create havoc for the Copts. It's already been persecution for the Copts. Twenty churches was burned in uh, Egypt. Some of them are historic landmarks, rapes. Um, many Copts are leaving the country by the drove. Uh, in uh, Syrian Christians in Iraq, even under Saddam Hussein. They were a protected minority. They enjoyed freedom under Saddam Hussein, who we considered a tyrant. Now that Saddam Hussein is ousted, many uh, Syrian Christians in Iraq are leaving by the droves. The problem, you know, will extend to all the Middle East in which Christians will be severely persecuted, especially in Syria. You look at the beheading of Father Francois Murad, a Catholic priest, you know, in broad daylight, beheaded like a sheep. And there's no reaction from the American government. If truly the American government cared about the persecution of Christian, uh, they should look at Sudan. You have Barack Obama's brother working as the executive director of the Islamic Dawah organization of the government of Sudan, which is considered a terror entity. Uh, in fact, the headlines in Egypt speaks about President Obama's family, his brother, uh, how they're, you know, 
involved with the Muslim Brotherhood, with the Wahhabis in Saudi Arabia. We have examined tremendous amount of evidence to the truth of this matter. There's much truth to be said about Obama's family and their Islamist link. They have a major Islamist link, and that family still very, very well is very well connected with President Obama. You have Malik Obama, who's been given a 501c3 illegally uh, by the IRS, by Lewis Lerner, in which donations are being raised to support his activism in Sudan. His grandmother, Sarah Obama, raising funds to recruit Muslim, African Muslims to go to Umm al-Qura University in Saudi Arabia, which was founded by Muhammad Abdel Wahhab, the father of Wahhabism. So there's a definite Wahhabist link, which is rarely addressed by the Western media, in which Obama's family are clearly Wahhabist, are clearly extremist, which is a major problem in the current affairs when we look at the Middle East. When you think of the things that are going on with Syria and the unrest that covers the Middle East and North Africa, and when you think of Bible prophecy, and I know this is one of the areas that is your strength in interpreting what seems to be happening in the world and understanding whether or not the Bible is actually talking about those things in end times events, what are your perspectives just quickly on this issue? Well, we can take a look at small verses in the Bible. Uh, you know, Syria, there will be an influx of refugees into Kerr. That is in the book of, I believe, in uh, Amos, or, and also in uh, Isaiah chapter 17. They go to Kerr, which is Karak, Moab. We see two million Syrians have left the country. So we see this kind of prophecies are beginning. This, it's embryo. In Egypt, we see a civil uh, you know, uh, unrest in Egypt, in which it fulfills Isaiah chapter 19, uh, city against city, neighborhood against neighborhood, brother against brother. It's exactly what we've seen in the last month in Egypt. So we have to understand within the context of these things, you know, this happens on the day of the Lord. Even in Isaiah 19, the first verse, it says the Lord comes riding in a swift cloud and is coming into Egypt. Western Christians don't really look carefully into these verses in which Christ himself comes into Egypt to defend the believers in Egypt. So we have to look at the persecution of Christians. Matthew 25, very clear on how Christians treat other Christians and how us as the church, whether we fed him, whether we visited him in prison, whether we, you know, he was naked and we clothed him, and then he says, it's just as you did it to the least of these, my brethren, the believers, the believing Christian church. So if we stand by idle while we see these massacres happening in the Middle East, we're going to be going to the left side because we never really believed. You know, Christianity is a, is a, is a faith where the rubber meets the road. It's not just a faith that is so personal that we don't do any activism in our lives. It's a very active faith in which we have to carry our crosses. We have to do what the saints did. We have to do what the apostles did. We do what Christ did, and that is carry a cross. And we have to understand this and be people of the moment in which, in which we see these things happening, that we look up and realize that our redemption draws nigh. 
Walid Shubat is our guest and uh, talking about issues in the Middle East and particularly uh, those events that have been in the headlines about Syria. Uh, Walid Shubat, I'll point people to your website where they can get more details about some of the uh, very interesting uh, information that you've been able to share over this last short while. www.shubat.com. That's S-H-O-E-B-A-T.com. Walid, it's always a pleasure talking. Thanks so much for being with us today on 2020. Pleasure is mine. Thank you. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts. Or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.